This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Miriam Margolis. I, I can't even believe I'm saying it. Welcome to Better Reading. What a pleasure to be with you. It's uh, in Italy where I am. It's now uh, nine o'clock in the evening and I've just um, finished uh, talking to the gentleman who looks after the things that go wrong in the house. Every now and again, something goes wrong in my farmhouse and uh, he came to fix it. All right. I feel that you need no introduction, but here we go. Well, don't uh, introduce me. I don't need to be introduced. Well, I, I never, you know, all that people can say is she did this, she did this, she did this, she did okay. this. Okay. All right. Well, I will say that we're here to talk about her memoir. Ah, it's called that's this, nice. Yes. The book is called This Much Is True. So I guess you probably don't know very much about me and that's fine, but we have so much in common. And I want to read this, this quote that you told The Guardian once, because you you are a woman after my own heart. And this is, I think about this almost every day. I don't think Australia has got it right. I'm a political person, so I see things politically. The great days with the tall guy, Gough Whitlam, I'm with Gough. The Australia that Gough made is the Australia that I love. Here, here. That is absolutely true. And I'm so delighted that it's true for you as well. Mm. That, that kind of moral probity and work ethic and caring about other people, it, it seems to have gone out the window, not just in Australia, but believe me, in England as well, where mm. I've just come from. Mm. And um, I'm sad because it was better before. I feel, and you probably feel the same, I feel we're in a political mess at the moment globally. I don't think it's just Australia. I mean, Australia is particularly bad. Um, the Prime Minister that we have at the moment. Is that a cat or a dog? <laughs> it better a cat. be. <laughs> a cat just strolled past. Oh, oh there we go. Ty <laughs> She always goes in front of the computer <laughs> because I'm concentrating on the computer and she likes people to concentrate on her. For our listeners, Miriam is uh, now cuddling a cat called Tilly. I feel that the world, let's go back to that, I feel that the world is going slightly mad. Is it going Is it going slightly mad because we were so affluent we needed something to be unhappy about? Or is it going mad because of fear? Uh, Tilly, get off the computer. Um, I don't know why it's going mad. Uh, I, I don't have a reason why. I think it started going wrong many years ago, actually, probably, when people thought that material things were enough. Mm. But it is absolutely not just Australia's problem. The thing is that Australians understandably love their country. Very hard not to love Australia. And they don't like it when it's criticised, even when 
as I always say, I criticize it to make it better. Not because I hate it. I love it and I want it to be better. I so agree with you. I often think, why didn't we become, because we're small, we're manageable, what, 25, 26 million, why didn't we become more of the forward thinkers? Like why won't, didn't we become like some of the Scandinavian countries, except we got caught up in mining, in house prices, in wealth, and we just got comfortable? Yes, um, material things became more important than anything else. And I mean, I'm not a, a believer in in God, but um, God was God was good for us in one way because He made us think about other things other than real estate prices, and that's it's not good what's going on. No, I want I it to be better. I really do. I'm, I just want to tell you this, and I'm I'm coming back to Australia in three weeks, and I'm going to make three programs about Australia which are examining this very subject. Well, aren't we lucky? Aren't we lucky? Hey, talk to me about your association with Australia. What's the relationship? How did it all start? It started when I was at school and I met Manning Clark's daughter, Katerina, who is now the Professor of Comparative Literature at Yale University and still a very close friend of mine. And I saw her looking lonely in the playground. And I went up to her and I said, would you like to be my friend? And really, she didn't have much option. So she just said, yes. <laughs> and that was the start of it. And we, we remained very good friends. And now, um, then, well, then uh, we were at school. Then we went, she went back with her father, Manning, to, to Canberra. And she met a woman called Heather Sutherland at Yale. And Heather became my partner. I was introduced to her by, by Katarina in 1968. 68. Yeah, well. And we've been together ever since. That's extraordinary. We'll go back so to that, all that. That's the beginning of my relationship with Australia. And then I met Jermaine Greer and uh, Clive James, and I realised that there was a fizzing intellectual storm in Australia, that there were people of real ability, and it's, it wasn't just a country of beaches and bright sun. It was a country of iconoclastic, brave, thinking people. And that's very attractive to me. And so I I just fell in love with Heather and I fell in love with Australia and I'm still there. What year did you first come out and what was your first impression? I first, I think, came to Australia in 1980 and it was very much an external experience. It was the light, it was the heat, it was the beauty of the people because they weren't all fat then. They were live and busy. And um, I just was dazzled by it. And I thought Sydney was the most thrilling place I'd ever been to in my life. I just adored it all. But very much from the outside, I didn't think about how it was founded, what were the, the industries that kept it going. 
how did the rural Australia deal with the rest of Australia? I didn't think about the problems of the plains. I was just seduced. Uh, do you know, I think that's the beauty of travel initially, isn't it? That the reason why I like travel so much, and I travel quite a bit, and as, as we, I told you, um, I'm leaving for San Francisco today, that is one of the beauty of travel. You don't engage on, on that level at least for the first couple of weeks or the couple of months that you're there. You're so far removed that all you're seeing is the beauty. Yes, that's absolutely true. And you're right. That's why travel is fascinating because if you bother to look beneath the surface, things are always more interesting and more complicated than you expect. And it's thrilling and surprising to, to delve below things and find out what you can and learn what you can. Yeah. So although I'm an old lady now, I'm 80, I'm still learning and I'm still finding things out and I love doing that. Mm. I spoke to um, an author recently who was American and came to Australia and he said he didn't want to be an expat and he was applying for citizenship because he wanted to be an immigrant. So in your life, what do you consider, like, what's your identity? I think that that's really interesting. I don't know that I can pin my identity down. Uh, I know that I'm a woman, um, a gay woman, a Jewish woman, an English woman born, an Australian woman by adoption. I think I'm a show-off. <laughs> I'm an actress. I'm lazy, but also full of compassion and, um, and anger as well. Mm. So it's kind of odd to me <laughs> trying to analyse myself in that way. I, I try not to spend too much time looking up my own arse. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's not that thrilling. But I'm glad I'm alive. Yeah, life is good, right? Life isn't always good, but it's it's worth living. Mm, mm, I agree with that. So do you spend, because I, I noticed um, in my research that you and your partner, uh, Heather, live apart for long periods of time. Is that the success to a 50-year relationship? <laughs> I don't know because how, how can I judge? That's just the way it, it was. She is a professional woman, yeah. um, an academic. I'm a professional woman, an actress. And I want to go on working, and so does she. And she has to work in a particular environment, which is connected to Indonesia and the Dutch East Indies. I need to work in an English-speaking environment because of my theatre work and, and being an actress. So it just turned out that we we couldn't live in the same place because it wouldn't allow both of us equal strength. It, it would mean that somebody would have to suffer and we weren't prepared to do that. So we followed our own wishes and we have nonetheless remained a couple. I think that is an achievement. Oh, I think it's wonderful. I, I want to know how your career started. At what point did you know that you were well, going to be a performer, an actor? I, I think it was probably at university um, because I... I didn't know that I would be an actress when I was at school. I thought I might be a doctor because daddy was a doctor. So I just sort of wanted to be what he did. 
But at university, when I really had the chance to act in university societies and realize that I was good at it and really a lot better than a lot of the other people who were in it and that it was a possibility, then I thought, well, I really love this. I'd like to do it. Mm. So what was it, it was first a job? period. Um, my very first job was actually in Cambridge at um, the Arts Theatre. I did a double bill of Pinter plays, The Room and The Collection, in which very bad casting. I played a fashionista. <laughs> and if there's one thing I'm not, it's a fashionista. Your career has just, it's just been such an incredible uh, trajectory. It's just gone up and up and up, if you like. And, you know, I guess being 80, you look back. And what what do you think were the pivots that got you to here? Um, you mean the things that, that, that took the public? Yeah. And made them want to see me? Yeah. Because uh, you're not conventional. No, I, I'm probably not conventional. I, I never have been. I've always been an outsider. And I guess that I've always wanted to be an outsider. Uh, there are difficulties connected with that, but there are also pleasures. Yeah. And um, on the whole, I think outsiders see things more clearly. And um, I'd like to be able to see things clearly. Well, I was in a a television series called The Girls of Slender Means, which was an adaptation of a Muriel Spark story in 1976, 74, I think it was. I think, and that brought me to attention largely because of Clive, Clive James giving it a good review, and me particularly. And I think uh, winning the Best Supporting Actress for Little Dorrit from the LA Critics Circle, and also Best Supporting Actress... Uh, BAFTA, but that was much later in 2001. There have been little sort of highlights along the way, but I I, I don't know that there was anything particular. The thing I'm most proud of is that I I co-wrote my own show with Sonia Fraser about Charles Dickens. It was called Dickens Women. It started at the Edinburgh Festival in 1986 I toured the world with it. I played 23 characters. And what is that? Oh, I think it's the cat. Well, I've got two cats, Abu and Tilly, and I love them. They're brother and sister. They have a brother and sister relationship. And <laughs> they're always we, fighting. They, they're always here. They're always looked after. And I love them absurdly. Okay, so we're going to go back to your career. What is it that you pine for or favour? Is it theatre or is it film? Oh, it's theatre. I'm really not very interested in film except for the money and the locations. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not thinking of it as an art form. Yeah. For me, theatre is, is the pulse of my life. And I haven't been able to go to the theatre because of COVID for two years and it is a real deprivation. I really do miss it. I think it's um, it's a temperamental thing. If you if you love theatre, you you get the, an incredible buzz from going out on a stage and being able to command you know several hundred people 
into silence yeah. to yeah. watch you. That is a, a buzz, if you like. And it's a buzz to be able to control their emotions, to make them laugh, to make them cry, to make them frightened, to make them happy. It, it's just a, a wonderful feeling. And I, I don't know how to describe it. And I don't know if it's a healthy thing to, to want to do that. Most people would just get on with their lives. But I, I really do love theatre. And I get a, a joyous thrill from stepping on the stage. I'm very frightened. I get nervous, terribly nervous. I'm sometimes sick, vomit before I go on. Because I've, I'm frightened that I will disappoint, that the expectation, which is high from those who come to see me, will go away feeling flat and fed up. And that really does scare me. But for the most part, it is a wonderful experience. And working with other people, you know, the rehearsals, the discoveries, the shared experience, the shared terror, the shared joy, um, the laughter. It's, it's just magical. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Uh, talk to me about writing. I don't know very much about writing because I've only written one book and I'm very pleased that it's been very successful. It has I indeed. expected it to be, but people uh, who, who read it, most people like it very much. There is a very um, amusing, vituperative review of it in uh, Amazon. One of, the, one of the people who bought it in, on Amazon uh, wrote... Uh, absolute diatribe. She really doesn't like me, actually. It's not so much the book that she doesn't like, but me. And that's fair enough because the book is all about me. But I wrote it for money. I wrote it because I was offered an enormous sum, more than I could ever have imagined. And um, I thought, well, I better do this because I'm, I'm going to need carers soon. And carers are expensive. Yeah. So uh, I wrote it and I just sat down here during COVID and wrote it. The method that was used was quite interesting because I didn't I didn't want a ghostwriter, but I knew that I couldn't write it without help, without guidance. So my editor, Georgina Laycock in um, in um, John Murray and Company, that was the publishers. She said, look, we'll do it like this. We'll interview you. 
like this and on a Zoom over and over and over again, 20, 30, 40 times, several hours, many, many hours. And we record it. We send it to a typist. She types it out. We send you the typescript. And from that, you form your book. And that's how we did it. Well, that, that is such a good fit for you because you're an orator, aren't you? That's your storytelling. I like talking. All <laughs> oh, right, I had noticed that. <laughs> it's difficult to shut me up, really. Once my memory was stimulated by the questions that I was asked, then that provided the bedrock of the material that I used for my book. Everything in it is absolutely true. A lot of people have have expressed doubt that I could have done certain things, said certain things. I can assure you that everything that happened, happened. Yeah. You can um, tell me what it was like for you, but I think, uh, I'm not a writer, but I, I would imagine writing a memoir is like putting your CV together, right? So when you start looking back at your life, and that's like, you know, you've probably never applied for a job, but, you know, I have over the years, and you have to, you know, in chronological order, you have to put down, you know, what you've done and how you got here. And often you sit back after that process and think, wow, did I do all of that? Did you feel the same way about this book? Absolutely. I asked my PA to draw up a timeline of all the jobs I'd done over the years. Yeah. And I simply couldn't believe it. Many of them I couldn't remember at all. And that is another thing that happens, that people remind you of things that you had completely forgotten so that you can hardly believe that they really did happen. But people tell you that they did and they were there. So they know. No, I, I, I found it um, a slightly uncomfortable experience because I realised how much I had forgotten. Uh, but then I realised how much I'd remembered, particularly as this often happens with people, my early life with my parents who meant so much to me. And the opportunity to walk back into time, to walk back to the days when I was a little girl, to see my parents again as I saw them then, and my school friends. I found that very moving and and rewarding. Yeah. Did you have a good childhood? I think I had a wonderful childhood. Mm. Considering that I was born in 1941, more or less in the middle of the war, and my parents were bombed out of their home and went to live in Oxford without anything. They just, my father was a doctor, he just put a plate on the door, started up again with, with nothing. They showed great bravery and resourcefulness, particularly my mother. She was the engine of our family. And um, her energy and, and commitment and passion were, was undimmed through the years until she had a stroke and that was a very terrible thing which I think altered my my way of living because I saw the the pain of life whereas before I just danced through life not to say I hadn't had moments of unhappiness but nothing grim but this was grim inescapable and terrible and um the pain of that gave me a seriousness that I don't think I would have had. I could have been a very 
trivial, selfish little person. And I'm not. And I owe that to my mother. Definitely not. Going back to, I guess, a serious topic of of perception about yourself and who you are. But, you know, as I was growing up, and you might have felt the same, I always looked at people older than me, particularly when I was in my early 20s. And I'd look at people older than me, say in their 50s or 60s, and at the time that that was ancient um, to me, right? But now that I'm there, it's not so ancient. But I used to think that, oh, you know, I think one of the joys of getting old is being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable, you know, not having self-doubt, not having all those things that I had in my 20s. But, you know, when I got here, I realised that that's actually not true. Those those things continue, don't they? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Completely they do. And, uh, and you realise that you don't have as much time as you need to get better at living. By the time you know how to do it, it's over. And that's, uh, that's a grim thought, I must say. But I, I honestly am not sure that there's anything good about growing old. People talk about, you know, the wisdom that you get. Well, I haven't found any of that. Um, I don't think there is anything good about it. My physical health is not as good as I would like. I can't walk well. I'm, I'm immobile in many ways. My mind is still active, and I hope that that will continue, of course. One of the phrases that comes to my, to my head is, memory is identity. Mm. And I think that that was something that my writing the book made me realise, that I am what I remember. Mm. That is true. I just want to touch on that. That's interesting to me because my mother... Um, Really sadly, just she's 84, and in the last two years, she's she got dementia and she declined quite rapidly. And I think COVID was a contributor because she became isolated and and it seemed to have accelerated. But one of the things she said to me, or she said many times in the last year or so, is I can't feel anything. I can't feel anything. And really sad, but I feel that that's because she can't remember. And if you can't remember, then you can't feel, can you? No, I agree. I think that probably is the reason. And I'm very sorry that your mother has gone downhill in that way. I'm reading um, a terrific book by Linda Grant called Tell Me, Tell Me, Again, Tell Me Who I Am Again. And it's about her mother's decline. And it's, it's a terrific book. I'm enjoying it a lot. I find that I do read a great deal of biographies. Uh, Eileen Atkins, a colleague in the business, Dame Eileen Atkins, has written a wonderful book called Will She Do?, which I strongly recommend. And Billy Connolly has also um, windswept and interesting. Uh, He's a lovely man. You know, I I realise that I, I know all these people who are important celebrities but I don't like yourself. Of, well, I don't I don't think of myself like that. Nor I know that they are, but I never feel that I am. I what has brought me to attention of course a lot is the chat show, the talk show. And uh principally Graham Norton's talk show, which is I've seen you many times on that. <laughs> well, it's delightful to be invited on it. 
I, I love it too. I've got a lovely energy. Oh, he's a delightful man, absolutely delightful. And you, you never know what's going to happen. And I, I never know what I'm going to say, and I really en enjoy it. But because I'm somewhat free of speech, I, and I talk about things that often people don't talk about in polite society, uh, I've become more known for being a potty mouth than for being an actress. And that I have to reverse. Do you think it's too late? <laughs> no, it's no? not too late. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> um, listen, it must be, again, I'm looking ahead at my own life and looking at yours, and it must be, I, I think, about working and, you know, we've talked about work and identity, but working I think for me has changed at, you know, I'm 57 because it's become more about what I want to do than what I have to do. Would you say that that's how it works as you get older? I don't know. Mm. I, I mean, you're asking me kind of life questions and I don't often think about life questions. I find I just tumble out of bed and get on with whatever has to be done that day. I don't, I don't plan. I don't choose. I I just let it happen. And perhaps if I'd been more energetic in my decisions, I I would have had a slightly different life and maybe would have achieved more. I I don't know. I I, I just don't know how to answer these big questions because my my canvas is small. My canvas is simply my life. But not many people are still working at your age and doing fulfilling, wonderful projects. Well, that's probably true, and I'm very lucky that I'm still mm. wanted, that people ask me to do things. I sometimes I don't visit Twitter, the, the, the website Twitter or whatever it's called. What do they call it? Social what media. What do you call it? Yeah, so, well, the social, yeah. the social medium of Twitter. I have an account, but I never use it. I never go there. But people send me things that have been said about me. And some of them are so awful. I've really antagonized an awful lot of people. You know, I just say, well, tough shit. I, I'm not going to change. I'm telling people what I think, and I'm being as honest as I can. And I'm happy with the way things are. So I, I don't know if anything's going to change, but... I've made my bed and I'll lie on it. Yes. I, I get a little bit of, you know, with podcasts, people review and a lot of people say, well, the most negative reviews are my political opinions. And I just, my attitude is, well, go listen to someone else's podcast. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you have right. to be true to yourself. That is the important thing. You, you can't do business with people who are liars. Mm. And that's why I can't deal with Boris Johnson in my government, mm. in the government of the United Kingdom. This is a liar. Mm. He's incapable of telling the truth. Mm. I can't do business with that. We've got a very similar situation here in Australia. I know. And very. it makes me sad. Yeah. I, I just can't deal with it. Um, and I don't want to deal with it. I'm, I'm not prepared to, to change my life to make it easier for him. And for others as well. Um, how do you think the pandemic has affected you? Oh, everybody's been affected by it. Yes, me, me too. Um, 
I think it's made me much more scared. I'm mm. scared when people I don't know come up to me. Mm. Before, I would always be welcoming. Now I say, please keep away. And, and I, I say, are you vaccinated? That's all I want to know. Have you been vaccinated? I think it's extremely important that people are vaccinated and that they take the social responsibility of being vaccinated seriously. It's not just about us. I say that to people. It's about the greater community. I was lucky enough to get my booster shot 10 days ago, so I've got three now, which I'm feeling a bit more secure Good. about. Yeah, that's right. Yes, well, I, ha- I have two, and I'm very grateful for it. Mm, mm. Um, it's one thing that poor National Health Service, battered as it is, has been able to do. I think with the pandemic, I wonder, and we won't know this until a few years' time, I guess, but how it's affected us in the social sense, you know. I mean, my life socially has changed completely, and I I just wonder the impact of that on on children and teenagers and growing up. Oh, I think for children it's been disastrous. Yeah. The amount of schooling that they've missed, Mm. I can't bear to think about it. And the interaction that they miss between other other kids, mm. their their social knowledge, how to be in a society will will be so much less. Mm. It's a tragedy. Do you think for somebody like you though, has it made you more productive because you you're kind of stuck inside? It made me productive in the sense that I wrote a book. Mm. I wrote a book because I couldn't do anything else. Mm. If you're an actress, there's not much you can do if you're not allowed to stand nearer than two metres from someone. So I think it definitely has affected my life for the worse and made me scared, which I wasn't, and made me sad. I'm much sadder than I used to be. I think it's been a horrible thing for everybody in the world. It has indeed. The people whose whose families have died and they haven't been able to be with them, to hold them, to see them, to comfort them as they slip into another being. Mm. What a terrible thing. Terrible. Really is. It's it's huge. Okay. So on a positive note, tell me, what plans do you have for this holiday season? Oh, bugger the holiday season. (laughs) I haven't got any plans for that. I'm just wanting a holiday. It's not a holiday season. I just want to rest, to be with Heather in this beautiful place where we have a home and rest. And then on January the 22nd, I think it is, I arrive in Sydney, spend a few days at our home there, and then it's into the television documentary. I'm making um, three hour-long programs about Australia. Then I'm coming back to England and I've got a documentary about Ireland, about Lady Gregory to do. And then I've got about two months in Tuscany, again, resting with Heather. And then I start another documentary series with Alan Cumming. I've just done one in Scotland Wonderful. and we're doing another series. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, I think I want to be Miriam Margolies when I grow up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll let you go. I know it's getting late there. Thank you so much for your time. I have really enjoyed our conversation. The memoir is out now and for anyone that's looking for it, and it's called This Much Is True. Thank you, Miriam. What a pleasure to be with you, Cheryl. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. 
If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.